The following is an actor portrayal. With Kindly Assisted Living and Memory Care at Asbury Methodist Village in Montgomery County, you can anticipate more. But don't take our word for it. My dad moved to Kindly and loved it. His apartment was spacious, sunny, and overlooked Parkland. It was a great comfort to me to see him always smiling and involved in the life at Kindly. Enjoy quality on-site nursing and rehab services, too. Visit Kindly at Asbury.org today. Equal Opportunity Housing Provider. Want to create a breakthrough gene therapy? Pioneer aerospace excellence? Start a global hospitality brand? Be next to do it in Montgomery County, Maryland. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com to see how our top talent, diversity, and location will help you be the next company to change the world. Welcome to the Fantrax Prospect Toolshed. If you love prospects, you came to the right place, as that's what this show is all about. Covering all levels of the miners to help give you an advantage in your dynasty leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clegg. All right, prospect fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 13 of the Fantrax Prospect Toolshed with Clegg and Cross, powered, of course, by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross, and joining me, as always, in the Toolshed is the man that brings that southern charm. You know him as Mr. Chris Clegg, a.k.a. Matthew McConaughey of the fantasy baseball world. Chris, what's going on, buddy? Not much, man. Just another another fun day to talk prospects. A good intro. Gotta say, it wasn't quite as good as Doug's yesterday, but it's okay. You're getting there. I'm proud of you. <laughs> I, I am nowhere. If if you say I'm close to Doug Ishikawa, that is a massive compliment because Doug Ishikawa is one of the best to do this. His voice, his way he goes about it, his structure. Doug is the man. Uh, and shout out to Doug and Michael Simeon, SB Streamer, for that great charity live stream they did on uh, Saturday morning that Chris and I were a part of on the prospect panel, along with our good friend, Shelly Verstraight. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And they raised, I think it was over $9,000 uh, for charity. So that's, that's great. Big shout out to them. That's awesome. Um, before we get into tonight's show, which it's going to be a great show. We're, we're going to be talking our top 25 consensus dynasty starting pitcher prospects. And we are putting everything on the rundown. There was a lot. <laughs> We're going to get through a lot tonight, a lot of names. Uh, it's going to be a really fun night. But before we do, the usual housekeeping. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Cross 4 Chris is at Roto Clegg. And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. Please subscribe to our podcast. Leave a five-star review on iTunes or on your preferred podcasting platform. Those ratings and reviews mean a lot. Uh, go check out the draft kit. It's in full swing. It's been a couple weeks now. We're pumping out two, three, four articles every day. Rankings, sleepers, bus, strategy, prospects, dynasty, you name it. Player deep dives are still going on. That draft kit is very beefy. It's very great. So go check that out before you hit your drafts up. And for Chris and I personally, uh, for me, I had my starting pitcher bus and top hitting rookies for 2021 redraft leagues come out last week. And this week, today, when you're listening to this, I'll have my Arizona Diamondbacks top 20. Chris and I are starting our top 20 team-by-team prospect rankings. I have uh, Arizona today and Colorado right later in the week. And Chris will have his Atlanta Braves, his home team, on Wednesday. And, Chris, what else you got going on? Yeah, so after the Braves, I've got uh, some third base bust. That'll be out Tuesday, so that'll be tomorrow. And then some hitters that 
gain value in OBP leagues that will be coming out on Thursday. So a couple of things to look forward to there. Absolutely. Like I said, a lot of different things covering every type of content you could want for a draft kit. And, hey, if you something else you want to see that we're not doing, let us know. See if we can fit it into our schedule. We get a lot of great writers. So I'm sure, I'm sure one of our, our wonderful writers could get that out, whether it's Chris or I or one of the other great people we have at Fantrax HQ. And make sure you check out all the other great podcasts we have as well. We get Five Tool, SP Streamer, Triple Play, On Campus, Kick Around, Fantasy Hockey Life, and IDP. All right, Chris, let's do this. Let's get into it. As usual, let's start with our personal rankings here. So we're going to do top 25 overall in our consensus, but for our personal ones, let's start out with our top 10. Chris, who's your top 10 for pitching prospects? Yeah, so this, this is crazy. It's the first time in a while I feel like there's not a consensus one among like the whole community. Right. But I've still got Mackenzie Gore number one, uh, Sixto Sanchez coming in at number two, followed by Matt Manning, then Nate Pearson at four, Casey Mize at five, Ian Anderson six, Luis Patino seven, Emerson Hancock at eight, Forrest Whitley at nine, and Asa Lacey ten. Yeah, I think we have I think actually the same top ten, but just different order. I think actually only we only have three that are the same, one, seven, and ten, it looks like. Oh, and six also. I got Mackenzie Gore at one, Nate Pearson two, Sixto Sanchez three, Matt Manning four, Forrest Whitley five, who is by far the hardest person in the rank in the top half of these rankings, uh, Ian Anderson six, Luis Patino seven, Casey Mize eight, Emerson Hancock nine, and Asa Lacey ten. All right, let's get into it here. Let's start out with you know a little bit of strategy here, or, or kind of what we what we focus on when we're making our, our own evaluations. Chris, when you're looking to evaluate prospects for fantasy purposes, what is it? What are some of the things that you look for for guys that you like in your rankings? Yeah, so when actually watching a pitcher, like one thing that I want to see is good command and control. That's very important. That plays up in a lot of fantasy aspects. So when you're actually watching a pitcher, that's something I'm looking for. Can they hit their spots? Uh, can they hit? Can they hit those strikes when they're trying to? Obviously, so those things, command and control, are both important. Uh, obviously size of a pitcher matters and a lot of teams are moving towards, they want taller pitchers because they're getting a higher vertical arm angle. And so the, the angle of descent of the ball coming down, that really matters. That's getting really technical, but size of a pitcher has a lot to do with it. The command control that I mentioned, obviously the stuff you want to see guys that have good stuff on their pitches that can strike guys out. They get a lot of movement, that sort of thing. Um, but then like from just a, if I'm looking at stats, like for fantasy, what I want to see, guys in the minors have a good uh, strikeout minus walk rate. Kind of simple, but that's important. Uh, do you strike out a lot of batters and and limit your walks? And I think that takes a pitcher a long way. And so the more and more that I've worked on watching and evaluating guys, the more I've really kind of harnessed in command on these pitchers that I rank. And that's very important to me and, and to the evaluations, I think, because you look at guys that can't control a pitch, and a lot of times they end up in the bullpen. Half these guys that we discuss at starting pitcher are likely bullpen guys anyway. A lot of guys just don't pan. They end up in the bullpen. It's just the nature of it. But if you have good command and a good arsenal, if you have more than two pitches, that goes a long way in sticking in the rotation. So a good pitch mix, if you can throw more than two pitches, have good command control, uh, good makeup on the mound, and things that you know you really can't see, like the mental aspect of it. But you can tell like when guys just have that bulldog mentality on the mound and they know mentally – they are going to dominate the hitter. So those are just a kind of variety of things I think are important to look at you know, for pitchers. Anything different or stand out for you? 
No, I'm kind of in that same boat. When I when I first started really getting into the evaluation prospects, you know, process a few years ago, I I'd fully admit something I was guilty of was just looking at the stuff and just being blown away by it. Like, and I think a lot of newer prospect evaluators, are, I think, are guilty of that as well. Where it's like, oh, look at that stuff. Look at oh, look at the velocity on that fastball. Look at the break on that slider. Oh, the changeup. And then you just get kind of wowed and sucked into the arsenal. But stuff can only take you so far. Obviously, you need to have good stuff. <laughs> I mean, you don't have good stuff. You're not going to make it no matter you know, how good your control and command is. You know, if you have a bunch of below average offerings but can throw, you know, strikes every time, you know, yeah, that's great. But you need stuff, obviously. But like I said, that can only take you so far. A great example of that was former number one overall pick in what draft was that? 2013, Mark Appel. Where he had good stuff. He was the, he had that big prototypical frame. He was like a Garrett Cole frame. He was like 6'4", 6'5", 230, 240. Look, like he could just eat a lot of innings. He had the mid to upper 90s fastball. Pretty sure he had a great slider and a pretty good changeup as well, if I recall. But his command just went by the wayside. Like It was okay at Stanford, but then once he got into the Houston Astros system, it just went away, and now he's been out of baseball for the last three or four years at least. It's a great example, and that's just one example. You know, another one we'll probably talk about next week, Luis Medina of the New York Yankees, where he's had electric stuff, but he couldn't locate anything. And now that he's actually gotten, you know, he's starting to make strides slowly. He still needs a lot of work, but he's starting to make strides in that department. Now you see, you know, him starting to move up rankings and match, you know, what the stuff is. So definitely command and control is a big thing. You know, in terms of mechanical things, extension and delivery is, is phenomenal. You know, a, a big example of that, Alex Fajardo, a guy that I was actually really high on you know, when he kind of got drafted out of Florida into the Detroit system. Great stuff, you know, plus, you know, he had the time. I thought, he, yeah, this is what I thought at the time, plus fastball, plus slider, good changeup. But the extension was not great on that. It's just something that Ralph Lifshitz pointed out to me when we were there. He's like, he's like, look at that, you know, that extension. That's not great. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's true. Um, so that's something I look for is that helps, you know, with the fastball ride and everything like that. So, but definitely command and control, like you said, Chris. And a lot of these guys we'll talk about tonight, you know, especially a couple we'll talk about later on in the show. That's the reason why they've shot up rankings in addition to their great stuff they have. But the command and control profile is so strong, it's really bumped them up rankings. I think that's a lot of people in the industry are doing the same thing as we are. And bumping up guys like that because you see like Shane Bieber just come out of nowhere. He was Bieber was never a elite prospect. He was a top fifty ish prospect, but he was never being mentioned in, in the like we are now with with Gore and and Matt Manning and Nate Pearson. But you see now he's become arguably the best pitcher in the game, or at least one of the top three. So that's definitely very very important. Let's get into some player discussion here. Let's start right at the top. You know Mackenzie Gore, Chris. Now he's still our number one. Both of us. In our, in our consensus, just how special can he be? Because when I look at Mackenzie Gore, I can't help. The thing that pops in my mind, I know this is super lofty, because this, this pitcher I'm about to say is arguably the best pitcher of the last 10 to 15 years, Clayton Kershaw. You see the stuff, potential four-plus pitches that he can command well. He throws strikes doesn't get hit, you know, doesn't get bit by the that walk bug. You know, four plus pitches, lefty, all this, all the stuff is the good extension, all the stuff is there. How good do you think Mackenzie Gore can be? Are we looking at, you know, a Cy Young Award winner in a few years, you think? 
I think so. And that, you mentioned that's the first player that comes to my mind too. It's just it's just natural when you see and you watch him. It's like right. it's just Clayton Kershaw when you watch him pitch. And you mentioned that. I mean, he's got four plus pitches potentially. Obviously, the the command and control is elite. It's hard to find that. You just don't have guys that have that many polished pitches plus have that good of command and control. Because we'll talk about another guy later in Forrest Whitley who has arguably five pitches that could be that good, but just doesn't have the command control aspect. But, dude, Whitley was just just dominant. Like, this is silly numbers that he put up. Senior year of high school, like video game numbers. He went 11-0, and 0, had a 0.19 ERA, 158 strikeouts, and five walks in 74 innings. That's just in that's video game stuff. Like you couldn't do that on MLB the show if you put it on the lowest. Yeah, set. I was about to say I, I couldn't even do that if I if I made the the best pitcher possible and played on the easiest setting. <laughs> right, Paul Sporer might be able to, but I don't think I could do that. I need Paul, <laughs> Paul, if you're listening, I'd love you for you to train me up on MLB the show. But anyway, I mean, you know, he he got drafted by the Padres, third pick, huge signing bonus. He has had a blister issue that is kind of concerning to an extent, but. I think that he's fine. I mean, he rebounded in a big way in 2019. Uh, he was MLB Pipeline Pitcher of the Year at age 20. He just dominated. I mean, among among minor leaguers who had 100 innings, he finished first with a 1.69 ERA, a .83 WHIP, and then a batting average against of .164. And he was fifth in strikeout rate at nearly 36. percent So he is elite. He's super athletic. He's got this high leg kick. It's just beautiful, but the delivery is repeatable, which makes it great. The fastball gets, we talked about extension. The extension really lets the fastball play up, plays up to up to 96 miles an hour, uh, both in and out of the zone. He's got a big curveball. We can go on and on all day. I mean, like he's that good. The question comes down to, and the question that I've seen a lot is, should we be concerned about Mackenzie Gore? They didn't bring him up last year. They had these injuries in the rotation. They needed arms. Why didn't Mackenzie Gore come up? So that this question keeps popping up everywhere. And the thing is, we don't know. No one has specifically come out and said he was injured. No one specifically came out and said he had COVID. No one specifically came out and said that he regressed. There were there were rumors that the fastball lost a tick or two of velocity. But my question is, was it a ramp-up issue? These guys during quarantine were throwing baseballs into a mattress in hotel rooms. This is what they were doing. There was issues with a lot of guys ramping up. I'm not concerned a bit about Gore personally. People have dropped him down the ranks. I'm not going to, because I don't believe that there's any reason to be worried. If there was an injury, I think we would have known it. People, there would have been a leaked word. I just think they didn't have a desire to bring him up because they didn't need to. They really didn't need to rush him. And the stuff's there. The the controls there, everything's there. He'll come up this year, and again, they're gonna. The questions will keep coming. Why do the Padres keep acquiring these arms? Should <laughs> we be worried about him? No, they're just building a monster rotation because it costs them nothing. Exactly. That's what I, what I was about to say. Like, why not? Like, first off, if any concern, I think they're more concerned about Lamat and his elbow just totally giving out for anything to do with Mackenzie Gore. Like you mentioned, why not? They had a. They still, even after getting rid of like seven or eight prospects, even before they had one of the deepest farm systems around, and didn't we have a lot of holes at the major league level to fill? So why not trade 
Gabriel Arias and Ismael Mena and Reginald Preciado. Guys, that, yeah, there's some good potential there, obviously. And obviously, they got rid of Patino and the Snell deal. But why not? I would do it. I wish my Red Sox did it. Hyam Bloom's over there signing Martin freaking Perez and his career five point whatever ERA. Um, that's great. But <laughs> Preller is putting together. He wants to win now, but he's he's almost like a, sm- a more efficient version of Dave Dombrowski. But they're like, all right, win now. But Preller is doing it more calculated. Where he's like, I'm not going to totally deplete the farm system, but I know where I have you know, areas of strength in that farm system. And you know, a lot of middle infielders, a lot of pitchers. It's like I can deal with Patino and the Preciados and Gabriel Arias and whatnot. So yeah, and that, that's that's all. That's great. I would have done the same thing if I was running San Diego. So I don't think that speaks to anything about Gore. I think we'll still see him early in the season, probably by end of May or so. But a lot, of, a lot will have to do with how that rotation shakes out. The, the health of Lamette, we'll see. There's a lot of a lot of variables, a lot of factors that go into that. But I think he's next man up. You know, Patino's out of town now. Uh, I, I don't think Marehan will, will be the next man up. I think he's probably more using more like a swing role. But, uh, yeah, Gore will probably next man up. So he's he's worth drafting late. I don't like him as ADP, which is, I think, mid-200s. I'd draft him more super late just because you don't know when he's going to be up. And, um, but the upside's there, so he's going to be a factor right away. But rookie pitchers, who knows? We saw a lot of rookie pitchers struggle this year. Um, that's what we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. But before we do, two – that really, really impressed. Now I've seen their ADPs for 2021 jump, you know, either close to 100 with Sixto or inside 100. Ian Anderson, who I just took in the Battle of the Podcast League, uh, 97, something like that. It was right inside the top 100, 94, 97, something like that. So with their debuts in 2021 or 2020, they were special. You know, Sixto was flashing his great stuff. Anderson pitched well in the regular season and then went on a total totally dominant run in the playoffs. You know, Sixto made seven starts, 346 ERA, 121 whip, 2.5 walks per nine, 7.6 Ks per nine. Well, Anderson in the regular season, six starts, 195 ERA, 41 Ks, you know, well over strikeout printing, 1.08, you know, whip. Chris, we'll talk, let's you talk about Anderson here. What do you see from Anderson and how excited are, should fantasy players be and how excited are you as a Raves fan with, with having him in your rotation moving forward yeah and I was concerned a little bit because I watched him a lot coming through the minors I mean just being local I was concerned the command hadn't been great I mean he walks a lot of guys and then I know the walk rate was still 10 percent in the regular season it, it was up even higher in the postseason at 13 percent but honestly I was very impressed with with what Anderson did I mean, the way he commanded the pitches, I know he walked guys, but he commanded the pitches well. The changeup, to me, looked like a 70-grade pitch. That may be pushing it a lot, but it looked that good. And if the changeup plays up that well again for a full season, I think you're looking at like an SP2 in Anderson. Right now I'm thinking he's more of like an SP3 type because there are concerns with the command. But it's so hard to deny what he did. I mean – in the, in the postseason, he went up against three really good teams, and he dominated. He pitched 18.2 innings, a .96 ERA, 1.13 whip, 31.2% strikeout rate, had a high strand rate, but, you know, it's whatever. The fifth was still 2.23. He was so stinking good against good competition. To watch him go up and duel against the Dodgers, 
like he did against the Reds, like these good lineups. He was impressive. And, you know, I'm still being conservative. I, I think that there's going to be a little regression. He's obviously not going to be this good again. Like you're not going to get a, a pitcher that throws a sub two ERA in Ian Anderson. But I do think that that he can be very solid moving forward. I mean, you look at the spin rates, they're not encouraging. That's okay because that delivery, the way over the top delivery that he has, puts a lot of tumble on the curveballs. The other pitches play up well. When he when he keeps the fastball up in the zone, it, it he can't be touched. The fastball does have a few concerns because when the fastball is not commanded well, that's when he gets into trouble. But overall, I mean, you know, I have minimal concerns that he's he's going to be good after watching that marvelous debut. My my questions are: Will he be great? And right now, I'm not ready to answer that. I'd like to see it over a full season. I'd like to see how hitters adjust to him, but again it's hard to argue with the results and what he did and against good competition at that. And like I said, that changeup is just filthy, man. It's, it's one of the better pitches that I watched last year. So that was very encouraging. So I'll, the draft price is tough to gauge. Like, I don't know whether I like him where he's going or not, because as a Braves fan, I fear regression. And this is maybe weird, but I hate, honestly, I hate owning Braves guys on my fancy teams because then if they do bad, it's like, God, I hate him for my fantasy team and in real life. So it's like a double-edged sword. So it's like, I don't know whether I like him where he's going, but I do think he's a solid pitcher. I really do. I'm excited to see him over a full season this year. See, see that's great analysis right there. You know, you took your your homerism out of it. You took your bias out of it. And just look, looked at the pitcher himself, regardless that he played for your hometown, your favorite Atlanta Braves. And I, I agree with you right there with Anderson. That The one thing I've been concerned about was the command and the command did look better. You don't see that in the walk rate was still right around the same as it has been throughout his final career. But I, I do think like I took him in the, in the draft. He was my SP three behind uh, Max Scherzer and Max Freed. So you have back-to-back Atlanta Braves there. Um, so in pitching was going super early. So he probably went a good 10 to 15 picks before he probably should have. But you know, as if you want to get him as your SP three this year, I'm okay with that. I think he's, you know, top, you know, right around 30, low mid 30s for, for pitcher ranks. Just put him, you know, 15 teamer as like a, a solid SP3, which I was okay with getting him there. Uh, I definitely like Anderson a lot. Fastball, curveball, changeup, all, you know, flashing plus or better any even time. You know, it's just that command. But the Atlanta staff is to be pretty good for a long time. And I think he's going to be a big part of that. And then with Sixto, Sixto is funny. You know, you look at the stuff and you look at the K rate, doesn't match up. You know, like, how is this guy well below a strikeout rating? You look at Sixto's minor league stats. He ne- he's never at any level ever been over a strikeout rating. And his highest for any one year was 2018, 8.7 Ks per nine. Like, you watch him pitch. He's like, all right, he's blazing a high 90s cheese. He's got that wicked slider. He's got the changeup. He's got three-plus pitches. And pretty good command and control. I'd say above average to plus command and control as well. So for that reason, like the difference between like him and Dustin May is that Sixto throws more uh, whiff-inducing pitches. With May, it's the cutter, it's the two-seamer. Those don't get big whiff rates. When they do get a whiff, it's like Machado's flailing out and falling over, and that makes you know pitcher list, you know, our Alex fast or a pitching ninja put out a gif that gets like a million views. But it's that—that's the anomaly. That's not what happens every time. Obviously, with, with Sixto, he just you know with a slider and his changeup, those are 
the bigger whiff inducing pitches. It's usually the off speed, the change ups, the splitters, and then more so the breaking balls, the curves, the knuckle curves, the sliders. So I I can't help but I don't think you're gonna see this K, K rate stay where it is. I gotta imagine it's gonna tick up with I said with the stuff, the command, the control, you know. And Sixto's a bulldog. He's an absolute bulldog. He attacks hitters. He's not afraid. Like, all right, here's 99. Hit it. I freaking dare you. So I, I love his mentality. You know, but he, that here it will go up. I I can see him. He's getting taken a couple of rounds after Anderson in 2021 draft, which I think is I think it's logical. I think that's right. I'd be okay with him as I'd be okay with him as my SP3. You know, back in SP3, high in SP4 this year. I think he's gonna be a t- definitely a top 50 fantasy arm. I do think that K is going to tick up. So I find it funny that they said that, um, that he's not a lock for the rotation, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. He he's to be in that rotation. Don't be scared off by that. that that's that's baloney. I do not believe that for a second. So I, I will draft Sixto with confidence this year. But now moving over to the other rookies here. I actually wrote an article about this particular subject. We're looking at we're going to look at four here in particular. Casey Mize, Tariq Skubal, Spencer Howard, Nate Pearson. Four elite pitching prospects that didn't fare so well in 2020. These guys are now have ADPs 150 to 200 plus picks below Anderson and Sixto, which is, it's fair. Now they, Sixto and Anderson did well. These guys did not. I get it. But we remember a lot of these guys were valued just on the same level or even higher than Sixto and Anderson heading into 2020 in terms of prospect rankings. And I, it would not shock me if any one of these four finished better than Sixto and Anderson this year. Because I still think their, their upside is all right there. So these are the guys I am targeting. I actually just drafted Nate Pearson about five minutes ago before we came on the air in the Battle of the Podcast. I think it was pick 272 or something like that. I am getting – I've gotten at least one of these guys in every draft, usually two because the price is so – Spencer Howard, for instance, his ADP is like 390 or something on NFBC, which I, I don't get. He's in the rotation. He, they have him as I forget, number four, number five starter in Philly. He's in the rotation, plus fastball, plus changeup, above average slider, maybe even plus slider. I mean, he was pretty much – close to Anderson stuff wise and he has better command. Like, I liked Howard more than Anderson coming into 2020. I won't be surprised if Howard outperforms Anderson in 2020. I won't bet money on it, but it wouldn't surprise me either. So these guys here, I am buying all the shares in 2021. I don't know if you're doing the same, Chris, but you know, is any one of these guys more than the other that you like for 2021 or that you're still confident in or not so much confident in? Yeah, Howard would be the one that I'm actually the most confident in. I've always loved the stuff. I've loved the way Spencer Howard pitches. And, you know, it was a rough debut. It wasn't good by any means. He had a 5.92 ERA and in 24 innings. He struck out just 20% of hitters. You know, it wasn't his normal K rates that were always up over 30%. But like you mentioned, the command is solid here. It's it's better than Ian Anderson's command. This the pitch mix is, I mean, a great fastball. Solid slider, great curveball, very good changeup. He he's proved that he can dominate higher levels. We saw him dominate in smaller samples, I'd say in Double A, you know. But still, 
it's a matter of just transitioning, I think. And Howard will be fine long-term. You mentioned his ADP. I think his ADP is actually lower this year than it was last year, like before he had even got called up, which is nuts. <laughs> right. But I'll take it. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. glad to take it there because he's going to start. I mean, right now they've got him and Vince Velasquez in the back of the rotation. So if they happen to sign somebody, Velasquez is bumping out. It's not going to yeah. be Howard. Yeah, please. Yeah, Vince Velasquez is not a lock at all. No. And so I don't know. I'm just I'm pretty confident that Howard rebounds. I do have concerns about Casey Mize long term, and even this year, he he didn't look great at all. He's like you mentioned with Sixto. He's never really had the strikeout stuff. He's possessed good command. We didn't really see it this year. I'm not overly worried about it, just because again, it was a small sample. It was a major league debut. There were some things going against him, obviously. But I'm just concerned long-term about his injury history. He's had a lot of injuries in the past in college, in the minor leagues. That does concern me a little bit. Um, They've come out and said that he's not guaranteed a rotation spot, that he's going to be in the, quote, competition for it, which I don't like to hear at all. Then they talk about a six-man rotation, and he's still in the competition for it. They've signed Jose Urania, for God's sakes, and he's going to pitch over Casey Mize. Like, what are we doing? That doesn't make sense. Nope. I mean, all, all Urania is good for is beating Ronald Acuna. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. Acuna drops bombs off of him. He's just angry. And so he hits him <laughs> and he injured him. And I'm mad and I don't like Jose Urania. I, I can sense there's, there's a little bitterness in your voice. I yeah. love it. It's rant a little, over. A little feistiness here from, from Chris. A rant over. Anyway, <laughs> there are concerns about how, I mean, not Howard, but with Mize long term. But, you know, it is what it is. I think that he's still going to be a solid pitcher. He's not going to strike out a ton of guys. That's okay. Not overly worried about it. But I do think he's solid because you mentioned he's got a nasty splitter, nasty cutter, good command. I mean, those pitches are excellent. The the fastballs is good. It's not great, but the other pitch, the secondaries are, are very good. Scooble, I, I like Scooble honestly almost as much as Mize, if not more. I really think Scooble can be the real deal. Uh, he. He pitched a little better last year. Again, smaller sample. Scoobles not really been the one that has the stuff or the command by any means, but you, you can't argue with the numbers that he's posted at each. All right, so here's his stops that he pitched. All right, we'll, we'll just go with low A or high A and double A, where he pitched 80 innings in high A, had 2.58 ERA, 1.01 whip, 30% strikeout rate, 42 innings at double A. 2.13 ERA, 1.02 whip, 48.2% strikeout rate. <laughs> Just nasty. Yep. That's, that's 17 Ks per nine. The fastball is dominant. That, that's his go-to pitch, obviously. So he's got the great fastball. He's got a good slider as well. I think the curve and change do need to develop as well as the command a little bit. But Scoople has all the ability to be just as good as Casey Mize, in my opinion. And it wouldn't surprise me a bit. Again, they use the word competing for a spot with him. Who knows? I don't even know how this is going to pan out in Detroit. It, you would think they'd let the guys have a shot and run with it, but I don't know. It's hard to say for sure. Uh, Pearson, the injury, slightly concerning. I think that he'll be healthy. To, he should be healthy to start the year. And you mentioned he's going late enough in drafts where the upside alone is worth it, but he he really needs to harness in that command a little bit. He doesn't walk a ton of guys, but the command can be spotty. can hurt him at times, but overall, you mentioned a guy that can really blow it by you with a true plus fastball, or plus plus fastball. It's easily piercing. I mean, he averaged over 97 miles an hour on it, which was just lightning. 
the secondary stuff is is very good as well. So he's got all the stuff. Just got to command those pitches a little better, and I think he'll be fine. So yeah, all these guys have something to like about them. They've dipped a lot in value, and this we're going off samples where the the most of those four pitchers, the most innings pitched of any of them was was it Tarek Skubal? I think so. Tarek Skubal, thirty two innings. All right, so you have four pitchers, all of them through less than than 28 innings or 32 innings and their values have dropped. So it's in dynasty league, go out and acquire these guys. If people are scared about him over 20 innings, go get them, man. This- right. I mean, most of the time rookie pitchers struggle. That's what they do. They're, there's not as much immediate success. Like there is with, with hitting prospects and with, with the, the Detroit duo here, I think, well, first off with, with the rotation shakedown, Detroit, is very unlikely to contend this year. I don't think they'd be quite as bad as last year, but they're not a playoff team. So I don't get this is what I, my rant about the Rockies for the longest time with hitters. Why are you starting Michael Fulmer and Jose Urena and give, making Scooball and Mize earn it? Put them in a rotation, let them have their ups and downs, let them learn, let them adjust, and they're going to be better for it sooner rather than later. You know, there's no there's no reason for Casey Mize to be in AAA to start the season or Tariq Skubal. No reason for either of them not to be starting full-time. So we'll see how that plays out in spring training. I think they're both going to start, whether that is in the six-man rotation or not. Who knows? But I think both, they're both going to start. With Mize, I say he has the higher floor. Skubal has the higher ceiling. I have my I like Mize a little more, but it, it's really close. With Skubal, the, the comp I had the other day is popping my head. Gio Gonzalez, lefty, good strikeout stuff. You know, ratios weren't like super elite, but just like kind of like a good mid-rotation fantasy starter, SB3, SB4. It's just some good case. And, you know, Gio was pretty good for, you know, six, seven, eight years, and he kind of fell off pretty quickly. But I think that's kind of what we're looking at with Scooball. And then I put out this tweet about a week or so ago asking, would people be disappointed or happy if Casey Myers turned into, you know, Kyle Hendricks. What I, I hate always go to Kyle Hendricks. He's he's the punching bag for the high floor, boring pitcher. But you look at what Hendricks has done long term. It was a low three ERA. It was a little under a K per inning. It was like eight to nine, eight to eight and a half Ks per nine. You know he's been a very good pitcher for a very long time. You know I get you know Maya's number one overall pick. You expect more. You expect Verlander. You expect Kershaw. But he's not the type of arm. So the splitter is great. The fastball is, is solid, but not elite by any means. He started throwing more uh, two-seamers this year and started throwing a curveball out of nowhere. Um, so I don't think he was even throwing a curveball before. When I, when I saw him, it was the cutter-slider hybrid. Occasionally, threw a, maybe under 5% the two-seamer, and then the splitter. He threw the sinker 27% of the time and the curveball 10.1. So over a third of his arsenal was kind of quote-unquote new-ish pitches for him. And the the, the curveball uh, had a, uh, a X-slug of 1461, uh, an X-wobla of 697. Granted, small sample size, I get it. but And the sinker was not X, XBA of 342, X-slug 606. Now, those weren't good pitches for him. The, the four-seamer was better. The slider was all right, and it got hit hard. And the splitter was actually not as effective as it usually was. So he's better than what he showed, obviously. But... That's why I've been dropping him down a little bit. I think he's one of those better real life than fantasy arms where 
the fact that he doesn't have that super elite strikeout rate or even a good strikeout rate, I think what he, where he is strikeout rate wise, it's like kind of average nowadays. It's like middle of the pack when you're under a K for inning. That's kind of middle of the pack nowadays. So, but the floor is there. He'll, he'll probably have low ratio. Doesn't walk many guys. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely all in on the the buy low of Casey Mize and Tariq Scooball here and, and drafting them late too. Uh, I might be targeting one of them. They're both still on the board in my battle of the podcast league draft. So I might, might be targeting uh, one or both of them or Howard even uh, later on here in a few rounds. But an- another arm here that kind of struggled a bit in 2020 was Luis Patino, who is now in Tampa Bay. He came over from San Diego in the Blake Snell deal is kind of the centerpiece there. Chris, are you, what do you, what do you like about Patino? Are you still in a Patino's? I know I am. I'm in on him as a pitcher, but I have such mixed feelings about him going to Tampa Bay. Sometimes <laughs> they really work wonders with guys, and they're great at developing pitchers. But oh, I'm just so concerned that this is like a three-inning type guy that they throw in there. I don't know. I hate to say that because Patino is really good. He's He's got an excellent fastball. He's got great makeup on the mound. Just he, His presence on the mound is elite, and – before last season, I mean, this was a guy who was top 25 in most people's rankings. And again, a 17-inning sample has caused people to fall on him, which is stupid in my opinion. Again, we it goes back to the whole deal this year of people saying don't – or take the small samples in strides, but then they're overvaluing the small samples. But anyway, with Patino, he's solid, very solid strikeout numbers. He's got good command, even though the walk rates don't really – express that well he's got great command the control obviously could use a little work as he does uh, walk a decent amount of hitters and he he has in the past he before debuting last year he only had seven innings above high a ball so we're talking about a guy that basically jumped from single a to the majors so i think you could expect some some struggles obviously i mean that he, he's basically skipped two levels that were important in his development and so It'll be interesting. I don't know whether he starts out in AAA with Tampa Bay or not. It'll be interesting to see because I think he can use a little more seasoning in the minor leagues. But at the same time, the Rays just gave up their arguably best pitcher, and they're a contending team. And Patino was their best piece back. So do they just plot? They stick him in the rotation and let him run? I'm not really sure. We'll have to wait and see on that. But no, I mean, I maybe have dropped a little bit on Patino, but honestly, not that much. He's still my seventh overall pitcher, while he may have been six or five this or like six months ago. So I haven't really dropped him that much. I still believe in what he has. <laughs> I'm just so concerned about the Rays just messing with him. But I'm gonna pray <laughs> that he's one of the good guys they develop. Yeah, I, I I'm still in on Patino. Like we we kind of forget or, or overlook, I should say that. 2020 was by no means a normal season. Like from really when pitchers were really like usually like early to mid March, mid March is really when pitchers in spring training really start ramping up and getting ready for the season. You know, that the innings really start going up in spring training outings and whatnot. So Patino, I'm giving, I'm giving a lot of these guys, the rookies that struggled a pass is I saw them not into all of them live, but I saw what they did in the minor leagues. And yet it doesn't, automatically you know mean success in the majors but we're going like like you mentioned all these guys had like 30 or less innings pitched i am not about to jump ship at any of these guys for you know 
a bad what five six seven starts at the most so definitely look buying patino where i can here uh 2021 i don't know like you mentioned he was a centerpiece so he that definitely means he's a, a long-term stud for them a long-term piece of their puzzle i don't know if that happens on opening day probably not maybe but he should be up first half of the season probably i'll say may throw a month out there but then again do they you know tampa bay they throw six-man rotations they throw openers who knows? Just not a lot of guys getting super deep in the games in that in that team. So we'll see. I'm not super high on Patino for this year, but long term I definitely am. And then same thing with Matt Manning. People are kind of wondering where the heck is Matt Manning when both Mize and Scooball got called up. There's a little bit of a forearm issue there. So people are kind of worried about that. But I still and, and you have in your rankings as well. I still like Manning the best of the bunch. I, I saw Manning twice live in the minor leagues, and he impressed me more than Casey Myers, who I saw twice as well, including you know, I saw them back-to-back starts in Hartford, Connecticut in uh, May of 2019. With with Manning, he is he could be an ace if further development happens with his changeup and his overall command. That's what kind of vaulted him from very good with upside to elite in terms of pitching prospects because he has the mid-90s fastball with run, commands it better now. Change up flashes above average, so he needs to be he needs to get a better feel for it. He can kind of kind of throw it too much to the right, you know, his arm side, but and it kind of fades away. But there's good movement on it. He needs to get better feel, better command for it. Curveball is a hammer. That curveball, I want to throw 70 grade on that curveball. It is a thing of beauty. He can locate it for strikes. He can bury it below the zone. That's why I said about with Nate Pearson's slider. That's what kind of puts breaking balls in the 70 grade. It's all great that you can bury it below the zone. It's got big break. You can get whiffs, but if you can land that for strikes, it makes the hitters respect it that much more. And that's what Manning can do with his curveball. So uh, he's another one. I think we see him early once Fulmer gets probably injured again and Urena has a seven and a half ERA. And we'll see all of the big three in that rotation. It's going to happen at some point. So, you know, I wouldn't draft him in standard redraft leagues, but. You know your your fifty team draft and hold or something like that. Deeper benches. I'll give a I'll give a shot to Manning here because I think he could be at least a big strikeout arm. You know, are you targeting him kind of those leagues as well? Yeah, hundred percent. And he's I like you said. I think he's going to be the best one of those three in Detroit. The fastball, curveball are, are both plus pitches. Change up, like you said, if the change up can develop to plus, then you're probably looking at borderline ace because. I think the command ticks up as well. He's just all around a stud, in my opinion. You hit on most of everything that we needed to say about him. He's talented. I'd go out and get him. If people are concerned about him in Dynasty, dude, 100% buy him because people are just so quick to drop value on players. And a lot of these guys we've discussed, their Dynasty value has dropped significantly. And Manning being one of them, if you're concerned about the forearm or why we didn't see him, if you – if you see other rankings that may have dropped him, I'm not concerned about him. I still mentioned we've got him my third starting pitcher. Go out there and get this guy. I think we see him this year. He probably gives you a good half the season. At worst, I really, I really think we'll see more of him than that. But it, by June, July should be up, honestly. So no, Manning's a guy I'm definitely targeting, and especially in dynasties, so want to get him right now before his value takes off. Absolutely. And one quick note here before we go to break. Uh, something I like to always point out. If you wait until these guys get called up, these elite prospects, especially in fab leagues, 
you're going to pay through the freaking nose in FAB, especially with a guy like Matt Manning when he's one of the top pitching prospects in the game. And I know this is easier said than done, but if you can, you know, follow the beat reporters, follow people that are, are close to these teams, and just try to sniff it out. Like if if it, you're getting all the rumblings, like all right, Manning is a, or whoever maybe is close to getting called up. Grab him a week earlier, so you can get him for so much cheaper. Then you don't have to waste, you know, a third or a half of your fab with some of these guys. Something like Wander Franco, he's a go for like. 80% of people's fab budgets when he gets called up. Sniff that out. Get him a week or two before, you know, something that you have to go a few weeks before if you, if you have the depth to do so, obviously. Uh, if you have, you know, some dead weight on your bench, then I would definitely recommend doing that. But we're going a little long here, but it's, it was all good chatter, so that's great. Uh, let's go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll come back on the other side with our personal ranks 11 through 25 and talk a lot more intriguing arms. So stick with us. All right, welcome back from the break. Let's talk. Actually, wait, let's get to our rankings first before we talk about this guy. Hey, Chris, who, who are your rankings 11 through 25? All right, so number 11 is Logan Gilbert. Number 12, George Kirby. I'm back to back Mariners guy. Spencer Howard, Clark Schmidt, Max Meyer, Grayson Rodriguez, Michael Kopech, Edward Cabrera, Tarek Skubal. Nick Lodolo comes in at 20, and then Josiah Gray, Braylon Marquez, Daniel Lynch, Tristan McKenzie, and Simeon Woods Richardson rounding out top 25. For me, I got Spencer Howard 11, Michael Kopech 12, Max Meyer, Logan Gilbert, Grayson Rodriguez, George Kirby, Tariq Skubal, Nick Lodolo, Braylon Marquez, and Micah Bell at 20. Then the last five, Shane Boz, Clark Schmidt, Simeon Woods Richardson, Edward Cabrera and Matthew Libatore. All right, I jumped the gun coming back from the break because this guy is so fun to talk about. So let's get into him. Forrest Whitley. You know, we, Chris, you and I were talking about him before we started recording, and we both kind of had the same sentiment where if you're ranking strictly on upside and ceiling alone and not factoring in anything else, he's up there with Gore. Tier one is Gore and Whitley. And then there's a drop off to the Pearsons and Sixtos and everyone else. And before Gore kind of emerged and before Whitley kind of took the opposite route, Whitley was the top dog in the minor leagues. And it wasn't even close, to be honest with you. Look at the, some of the numbers that he put up in the low minors. Now, he, his lowest K per nine any season is 11.5. That's his lowest. The highest is up 13.9. But of course, you know he's got. You mentioned Chris earlier, four or five potential above average to plus pitches, you know. But the command has not been there. It was already kind of shaky, you know, kind of fifty grade at best in you know 2016, 17, 18. And then they started messing with his mechanics and his arm slot, and everything just went totally haywire. It reminds me of when you know we tried messing with Daniel Bard and screwed him up. I don't. I hope we don't do the same thing, or Houston doesn't do the same thing with Whitley because you know obviously he has a lot more potential impact. Then Bard, and you can look at 6'7, 240, the stuff. You know, the strikeouts will be there. You know, he's shown, like I mentioned, they never went away. Even when he was at his absolute worst, he was still striking out guys because the pitches were still moving. But, you know, the smarter hitters were laying off on them and the, and the walk rate ballooned. And the, But then, you know, saw him out in Arizona, in the Arizona Fall League. He made six starts, 288 ERA. You know, he looked better. You know, it, was, it wasn't, wasn't great. You no, know, still a little bit higher whip. The walk rate was still a little bit high, but it was better. 
but I am still like you know you have him ninth, ranked ninth. I'm fifth. It's hard to rank him, but I'm still all in on Forrest Whitley because you know we've seen Houston has a pretty good track record of developing pitchers. We saw that this last year with Christian Javier, Framber Valdez. So I'm still kind of in on Whitley at being a potential ace starter because if he fixes the command and control and gets back to where he was, he's never going to be a Bieber in that area in terms of command and control. But if he can just get back to this like 50 command, 50 control, which I think is possible, you know, so walk rate, you know, eight, nine percent or so, that is going to allow him to be a potential ace for fantasy because the strikeouts, the area will be pretty solid. Maybe the whip's a touch higher, but man, you know, see people that have just totally been like, oh, no, I'm done for Footly. I can't do it. You don't give up on a guy with this much talent. I mean, it's crazy. I don't know if you feel the same way, but that's crazy to me. Yeah, by low alert again, but it tore me up putting him ninth, honestly, because he's so talented. And like you mentioned, prior to 2019, he was the number one pitching prospect in the game. So then we had a poor 2019 season where he only accumulated 50 innings, roughly. And then he dominated the. I thought he pitched really well in the Fall League. Obviously, you were there. I didn't see him live. So I thought he pitched pretty well in the Fall League there. And then 2020 was a weird year. Um, the Astros didn't call him up. There were some injury concerns, but five really good pitches. I mean, in the fastball, he just dominates hitters. The fastball sits upper 90s. You mentioned he's six foot seven. He gets huge downhill playing. The fastball just really plays up as he gets that extension. The slider's good. The curveball's plus. The changeup's plus. He's got a cutter also that's above average. The command, it's just the command, just killing him. And the walk rates were fine. They weren't great prior to 2019, but they were. you can get away with it. Plenty of starters have walk rates between 8 to 10% and are, and are good pitchers. They can get away with that. Like you said, not Shane Bieber, but he doesn't need to be because he was striking out 30-plus percent of batters prior to that. It's just so hard. It's hard to know what to do with him. It's hard to know what the Astros are even doing with him. But you mentioned the ace upside is easy to see here of – any of the pitchers we mentioned, I would say Gore and Whitley are really the only ones that I would say are confident saying have the upside to be an ace. Manning's kind of borderline. He's got some work to do. Whitley, the, Whitley has a ton of work to do as well, but he's dominant. And I'm just curious to see. We didn't get many reports out of the Astros like outside or anything, so we don't know what happened. Hard to value him. But, man, we can just dream on what can be, and hopefully it turns into – him actually performing and we don't see him him going by the wayside because the talent is immense here and he's a guy on, on all my teams so go out and acquire him right now it's the value's low enough where you're not gonna have to give up nearly what you would a year ago so now's the time to acquire him no doubt and i hope he kind of gets at, at least half a season triple a get get himself right again you know coming out of the pandemic get right and then bring him up later you know there's no huge rush to bring out Forrest Whitley. You know, you, you're looking, you want him for the long term. You know, he's not going to be a big part of your 2021 plans. But Whitley, like you mentioned, those are the two, him and Gore. Bonafide aces, everything breaks, right? The other guys could be, or more so high-end twos or whatnot. You know, Whitley is can be an absolute stud, and I still think there's a, a decent chance he turns into that. You know, so Houston has a good track record recently. So hopefully they fix whatever they messed up. That's <laughs> kind of on them. But like I said, but definitely buy low on Whitley. 
And now we transition to <laughs> one of the more volatile, harder-to-rank guys to two of the safer guys on this list, two guys that are the epitome of what we are talking about in the intro with what we look for, George Kirby of the Seattle Mariners and Nick Lodolo of the Cincinnati Reds. Chris, uh, for, for time's sake, let's, uh, let's each pick one. So you pick one of these two guys, and I'll take the other. Yeah, you know George Kirby is my boy, so I'm not <laughs> to go with him. <laughs> Kirby is wasn't really well known at Elon, honestly. I mean, he was out of Elon. He was a first rounder, but a smaller school, so people kind of questioned a little bit, like, is he legit as we see? You know, these numbers he's posting, they're against these mid-major teams. Can he really be that good? And, yeah, he's that good. He's a pretty big boy, sits at 6'4". He's not Whitley size, but he's 6'4", about 200 pounds. He's got a dominant fastball. I mean, the fastball in all sight was getting up to 99 miles an hour. And this is with potential double-plus command. Like, he's that good at commanding pitches. It's obnoxious. So, in 2019, obviously it was a small sample. He debuted, and he pitched 23 innings. He didn't walk a hitter, and he struck out 28% of the batters that he faced and had 2.35 ERA. The command is all that good because it was all that good in college, and it just continued over. And when we look at these command control guys, this is the exact path that Shane Bieber followed. Now, it's not a comp. I'm not going to comp him to Bieber by any means, who is just the best pitcher, put up one of the best seasons we've seen in a long time. But the command path with the strikeout stuff, it's good. (laughs) So – even better in NCAA. So he pitched in three seasons, 240 innings. He walked just 50 hitters. Pretty dang good. But even better is by his junior year. So first two years was kind of working on the command. 88 innings pitched, six walks. <laughs> Stupid. How do you walk six batters in 88 innings? That's a, a 0.6 uh, walks per nine. <laughs> It's obnoxiously good. And that was to go with 11 strikeouts per nine. So very solid numbers, good strikeout stuff, big fastball. He's developing the secondaries. The curveball is an average to above average pitch. And I think the changeup is developing to that as well. Slider needs some work. But, man, this is the path that I like to see guys follow. The more I've watched and evaluated players, I want to see these command control guys. And with Kirby, you get it, plus the strikeout stuff just works well. So Kirby's a guy that I think is going to make a big jump this year and that I'm extremely excited about. Yeah, same same with Lodolo. I, I have Kirby ranked a little bit above Lodolo right now because uh, I think Kirby has better stuff overall, and, that, and that's the gap. I think command and control profiles are both very solid here, but I think Kirby has better stuff. But that's that's no slight to Lodolo. He's got pretty solid stuff as well. It's a three-pitch mix, fastball, curveball, changeup. You know, you're talking about uh, Kirby being big. Lodolo 6'6", 205. There's a little slight on the frame there. So I think he could fill a little more, but who knows? He's already pushing. He'll be 23 in a few weeks here, beginning of February. So I don't know if there's a lot more projection on that frame, but still, he said three pitches here that all are on any given start above average. None of them really stand out from the rest. Maybe... I guess if I had to pick one, the curveball, I think as much that that flashes plus at times. But the fact that he just locates all three pitches so well, and he, he's more kind of low 90s, can touch mid 90s of the fastball, solid run. Um, but the curveball is a big bender as well. Change up, good fade, good velocity separation from the fastball. So I think he's just a very, very safe arm. I don't think he's going to be 
quite as good as Kirby. I think Kirby's got the higher upside. Both have similar floors. And I think Lodolo is going to be one of those guys that settles in as a, a really, really good, like, mid-rotation number three starter that can give you, you know, solid strikeout. That, you know, he's not going to be a huge strikeout guy, even though he actually kind of has been in the minor leagues but um, and, and in college. But just good strikeouts, slow, keep the ratios low. He's not going to walk many guys at all. And maybe, you know, maybe the strikeout rate continues. Who knows? Like, you know, Last year was at 18, 18 in the third innings. We struck off 30 guys. He had a strikeout rate of over 40%. In his last two years at uh, TCU, he was well over a caper inning as well. So, you know, maybe that that stays and he's at least a caper inning guy, but just the floor is so solid with Lodolo. And, you know, Cincinnati has been, you know, their pitching program there is on the up and up and it's one of the better ones in baseball now. So I, I feel good about him being in that system. And I think he's going to be a part of their plan sooner rather than later. Don't think it's this year, but definitely at some point in 2022, you're going to see Lodolo step in and be a, a very good, reliable starter for a long time. I, I feel very confident saying that. Uh, but now let's go over to a couple of guys that could have some 2021 fantasy impact. Let's start with Clark Schmidt here, Chris. You know, been, you know, even when before we came on, there was that fake breaking, not fake, but uh, the Luis Castillo going to the Yankees. Then that's still always a possibility. The Yankees are never out on anybody. You know, as a Red Sox fan, I never believe they're totally out on any good player. So Schmidt right now is on the outside looking in already, but that Yankees rotation is very shaky. Now, whether it be injuries or performance, there's not really – a lot, a lot of locks in that rotation outside of Garrett Cole, obviously. And they're getting Sabrina back in season, which hurts as well. But do you think we're going to see Schmidt this year? And if so, are you, you think he can have a, a solid fantasy impact? Yeah, I think so. And this is a guy, a local guy that I watched quite often at the University of South Carolina. So, guy that obviously I have some personal bias towards. But aside from that, I mean, the Yankees liked him enough to make him the 16th overall pick with him having Tommy John a month before the draft. So they loved him that much. They loved the arm. He had a pretty quick rehab, and then he was back to game action just 13 months. And since he returned, he's had a couple trips to the, the IL. But, you know, that's coming off Tommy John and with some injury history. But it seems to be past him at this point. He went three levels in 2019 from rookie ball to high A to double A, and he dominated he pitched really well. He's not going to be a big strikeout guy by any means, but he does have solid command. He's got a beautiful curveball that's easily a plus pitch. And the fastball potentially could play up to plus as well. And like you mentioned, the Yankees' rotation's kind of shaky right now. Again, wouldn't surprise me to go see them get anybody. They got Corey Kluber, and they could go out and get Castillo or whoever they want, really. And so right now he's probably on the outside looking in with Cole Kluber. But then at the back they've got Montgomery, uh, David Garcia, and Domingo Herman. So there's no reason Schmidt can't outperform those guys. Wouldn't surprise me a bit if he did, honestly. But I do think there's solid fantasy impact to be had. I'm pretty high on him, and I think that there's a good reason for him to be in that rotation. I think he's a starter long term. I think some people question whether he's in the bullpen or not. But overall – He's well-rounded and very solid pitcher that whether he makes a solid impact this year or not, I think long-term he is a solid starter. 
Yeah, and who knows? Especially like if he goes in the, he could go in a deal, right? If the Yankees are getting Luis Castillo, if I was on the other end, I'd be asking for Davy or, or or Clark Schmidt. Absolutely, if I'm giving up Luis Castillo, I'm definitely getting him back one of your top two pitching prospects, no doubt. So, who knows? So it's kind of this not not really a fluid situation right now. We'll kind of see how the rest of the offseason plays out, but. I think there's at least a chance that he's not in pinstripes come opening day, whether that be Cincinnati or elsewhere. If the Yankees keep looking to add, you know, more stability to that rotation, especially at the front end of it, where it would require them to give up a Schmidt or a Davy in return to get that guy, who knows? But yeah, definitely all in on, on Schmidt. You know, long term, I think he's a, a really good mid rotation guy. And I'm not going to go into as you mentioned, you know, everything about him, but you know, it's really solid. I think he'd be. But solid ratios, good K rate, never going to wow you, but he's just a kind of churn out, you know, those good seasons year in, year out where you're like, oh, hey, you know, Schmidt was a top 50 guy this year, kind of just quietly going about his business. Uh, I, I really like Schmidt. I actually hope the Yankees get rid of him because I think he's going to be pretty good. Get him out of our division um, or give him, give him to my Red Sox. I'll take him. Uh, he'd, be like, he'd be like our number two right, right now <laughs> after, after like Erod. But uh, the other guy here, Logan Gilbert's one I'm even higher on. And, you know, Seattle has a damn good rotation brewing out there. You know, they've already brought up Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn. And now they got these three guys that are all inside my top 20 in Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, and Emerson Hancock. And, you know, and we already talked about Hancock and Lacey and Meyer, so we won't talk about them tonight. If you want to hear about them, go back and check out our first-year player draft uh, episode where we did talk about all these guys for um, the 2020 draft class for pitchers. But Logan Gilbert, you know, he's really kind of blossomed over the last few years. Came out of Stetson. So show of hands, who heard of Stetson University before, you know, now? I, yeah, I know DeGrom went there, but I don't think anybody was really talking about, you know, he wasn't a super high prospect at the time either. So uh, Stetson University, not a big-time collegiate school, more of a mid-major. But Gilbert has just gotten better and better every single year to the point now where he's one of the top pitching prospects in the minor leagues. No doubt he's a borderline top 10 pitching prospect. And you see with the stats here, he just dominates. Like his first year in the minor leagues, he made 26 starts in 2019, 135 innings. Yeah, first right off the bat, boom, 26 starts. I love to see that. He struck out 11 batters per nine, 2.2 walks per nine, 2.13 ERA, 0.95 whip. Didn't, he's never given up a lot of home runs. He, he he keeps the ball on the ground, can miss a lot of bats. He he's never struggled. And granted, like I said, you know the Atlantic Sun Conference isn't exactly a powerhouse. It's not the SEC or the ACC. It's you know, like I said, more of a mid major. But big six six righty, solid durable frame. He's a bulldog. Fastball mid to upper nineties. That's at least a plus pitch, maybe even higher than that because of the velocity and the movement he gets on it. You know, these those three secondaries, sliders a plus, changeups above average a plus, curveball is at least there. It's an average pitch. So man, I I love Gilbert. I can see him I can see him being the best one out of this bunch, even better than Kirby, even better than Hancock. I love them all. There's not a slide to any of the three, but Gilbert's a dude, man. And we'll probably see him mid season. Like he already advanced up to double A. 2019 so i could easily see him and there's not a lot in his way either so you know started him at triple a you know he starts dominating there six eight starts june july i think we could see him so he could be a nice uh mid-season waiver wire target i like him a lot like you said i mean 
it wouldn't surprise me. They're, they're close. I mean, all those guys are close. They're all top 50 prospects for me. When you're looking at Kirby and um, Gilbert and then Hancock as well now in the fold. But no, nah, I think the, the sum of the parts is really solid there. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him develop as the best of the bunch. So a very exciting prospect. Yeah, for sure. Another exciting prospect here, but one that's not quite as stable. Michael Kopak. You know, it's kind of funny that he's still a prospect, even though he made his professional debut or his major league debut, I should say, way back in 2018. You don't really see that too often where a prospect is still prospect eligible three years later. But, you know, between you know him missing 2019 due to injury and sitting out all of 2020, you now that makes him so he's still prospect eligible barely, but he's still there. We still got to rank him and talk about him. Chris, are you, you know, he's kind of like, Whitley, but like less talented, you know, very, very high upside, obviously, but not quite as high as Whitley, but kind of the same where it's like the floor is, is kind of lowered due to, the, due to the command issues. And he says he has some off the field stuff that he's been dealing with and, you know, the injury history. Are you still in on Kopech? Are you kind of fading him? I want to be in on him, but there's, there's aspects outside of baseball that concern me. I mean, the injuries, and then you mentioned, I mean, like the reason he opted out, we heard a variety of things. I heard that it was just mentally he was struggling. And so that kind of concerns me. And, you know, you hate to hear that, but I, it does concern me long-term when we're looking at his fantasy value. Like, is he going to be volatile like that? Is he struggling mentally on the mound? Things that, you know, we, we don't see, but really affect the way a pitcher performs. And so that has a, some slight concerns in my mind. Obviously, he's always struggled a little bit with command and then randomly in 2018, it just kind of clicked. <laughs> the command was there for a short time. Then he blew out his elbow, you know, which, which sucks because we couldn't really see, you know, how he would develop and whatnot. Always been a wild pitcher though. Always walked a lot of hitters, always struck out a lot of hitters and kind of like Forrest Whitley to an extent. The upside's pretty immense here. I mean, you're talking if everything clicks, probably an SP two, but also if you hit the floor, we're looking at a bullpen guy. Who knows? He may could be a dominant closer with that fastball and slider combo. But yeah. and additionally, you know, he's got the curve and change. The changeup needs a lot of work, but the curve is a solid pitch. So he's got the pitch mix to be a starter. But you hope for a value standpoint that he does pan as a starter, but he could be about a valuable bullpen piece. Hard to say. And I don't know. I'm so mixed on his value right now, especially for 2021. I don't know where to value him. The Sox keep going out and getting guys and there's reports that now they're talking about getting Felix Hernandez, which, you know, that essentially boots Kopech out of the, the rotation. If, if that does happen, you know, again, we're talking about a, a Felix Hernandez who's way past his prime, but if that's what they're going, if they're going to sign him, they're going to sign him to start, which concerns me. But I mean, maybe Kopech spends a little time in triple a. I mean, he's already spent two seasons in triple a, uh, 140 innings of time in AAA. So he's more than ready. Looking at from an age standpoint, he'll be 25 at the start of the season. It's time. So they need to let him have his chance to run with it and see. But I don't know. I'm just so mixed on the value here. I don't know what to even expect when we haven't seen him pitch since 2018. Right. Yeah. It's it's hard, especially like you mentioned with Felix Hernandez rumors swirling about. And funny, guys, funny thing, I just looked it up here. So I, I knew it was close. So Felix Hernandez and Jacob DeGrom are only two years apart in age. Uh, DeGrom was born June of 88 and Felix April of 86. So they're only two years apart, but look at the difference in the innings. It's ridiculous. Felix Hernandez, 
has made 418 starts in his career, 2,729 innings. And the two-year younger DeGrom has 1,169 innings on his on his arm. So it's just funny that they're only two years apart, but you would never think that they are only two years apart just by the difference in how long they've been around. Felix has been around since he was like 12, it seems like. <laughs> He's been around since I was 12. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Actually, he pretty much has. But, yeah, it's, it's just kind of funny. I, I mean, not to get off subject, but. Yeah, but no, I mean, that's a good point, though. When we're looking at pitchers in dynasty leagues, people want to look at DeGrom's age and act like that he's going to fall off the cliff, but he doesn't have any mileage on his arm. So no, he doesn't. he'll pitch dominantly into his late 30s, like with probably no issue. Yeah, so. he, he has the same amount of mileage as like a 27 year old or so, not a 32, yeah. almost 33 year old that'll be 33 in, in you know, mid season this year. But, right. um, all right, let's let's end the show here. We let's end the show with a little bit of positivity. Usually we do breakouts. We'll do those next week in our part two of this episode. But let's end with some names that are inside our top twenty-five here that are on the rise. You know, we got three we put down here: Simeon Woods Richardson, Grayson Rodriguez, and Shane Boz. Yes, I'll talk about Boz here. As I saw him uh, out in the fall league, talked with him. Uh, we interviewed him on Five Tool way back in like April. Boz is one of those high upside lower floor because the, the command and control has kind of come and gone but dude he is electric he was pumping upper 90s touching 100 out there granted it was in shorter stint but he was throwing 92 mile an hour sliders like that's that's what jacob de does obviously not a comp don't even go there but you know the fastball and slider are both elite i would say both easily plus like we're, we're going past that level I I don't know if I put them. I put the fastball double plus slider. Maybe it's close. It's it's between plus and double plus. I kind of go back and forth if I want to put it at seventy grade or not. But the rest of the rest of the arsenal and the command and control that's still a work in the progress. You know he'll throw it. You know he mixes in a curveball, mixes in a change. Now when I was talking with him, he said he was working on a cutter. Kind of had that in his back pocket. We'll see if that develops here in twenty twenty one. But he's got the makings where he could either be. You know, kind of like a high strikeout mid rotation guy, or that fastball slider combo out of the bullpen. I think he could be like an elite fantasy closer, getting just a crap ton of strikeouts. You know, as one of the, I can see him as being a top ten, you know, fantasy closer you know, down the road. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how Tampa Bay handles him moving forward. Here, he's still pretty young too. He's still only twenty one. Feels like he's been around longer than that, but. They'll still get times. Then he's, he's not going to debut this year. It's probably more of a 2022 ETA. But you know, we'll see. Tampa Bay can do their wonders with him. They could have a very, very high upside arm. But out of the other two, Chris, who are you, who are you higher on? You know, are you are you a big Grayson guy? Or are you bigger on uh, Simeon Wood Richardson? I like them both, but Grayson Rodriguez for sure. I mean, this is a guy you just look on the mound and just a bulldog. Big boy, 6'5", 220, just a dominant presence on the mound. I mean, his fastball – He'll blow it by you. It it at night twenty nineteen at least it averaged over ninety five miles an hour, and it topped out ninety seven. Reports are that's ticked up a bit. He's he's hitting ninety nine, just crazy. Uh, he misses bats with that pitch. It throws it pretty often and creates good playing with it to the plate. Uh, his slider is also a plus pitch in my opinion. Is pretty elite. He he uses the slider and the curveball. The slider the the much better pitch between the two. The changeup improved. Uh, improved a lot in his pro debut and into 2019. And he likes to throw that to left-handed hitters a good bit. Um, but now he's beginning to get more confident in it. 
very repeatable delivery. He throws all four pitches with confidence, too, and he commands them well in the zone. And he's got a great combination of just size, stuff, feel for pitching, control. The command is really coming along. I think Rodriguez this time next year is going to be a top 20 prospect overall. Like I'll just go ahead and say I think that he's going to jump that much because we're going to see guys debut. Obviously, pitchers fall off the list, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Rodriguez in our conversation for the 2022 season as one of the top pitching prospects in the game. Yep, I can totally see that as well. And same with with, with uh, Woods Richardson as well. Uh, he's definitely one on the rise as well. I don't quite like him as, just as much as, as G-Rod, but I can see – him being a top 40 guy, he's kind of on that trajectory. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, that'll wrap us up here. Man, that was a lot of fun talking. Always, always, always a fun time talking pitching prospects, especially the, the elite guys like this, because there's a lot of buy low guys, a lot of guys in the rise, the, the great debuts, the not so great debuts. A lot to talk about here. Um, but that, like I said, that'll wrap us up. Thank you so much again for tuning in. We will get our consensus rankings out. We'll at least put the top 25 out uh, probably Tuesday or Wednesday, as we always do every week with these. Uh, and we'll be back next week to talk the rest of our, you know, maybe top 100, who knows, but a lot more names. almost want to do three parts, but that's too much. That's overkill. We'll, do, we'll be back next week with part two. A lot more intriguing guys. We'll talk some more international, not international, some draftees that we didn't get to in our first year player draft. We'll get to our breakouts and all that. Um, So definitely tune in next week for part two, and we'll be back with you then. Until then, take care.